0: Please be seated. Our second reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, from chapter 1, reading verses 29 through 42. So John chapter 1, beginning with verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, there is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Kephas, which is translated Peter, which is further translated rock. I added that. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Reading this morning's passage from Isaiah, along with the story of John the Baptist, uh, reminded me of, of a German theologian named Hermann Gunkel. He Focused on the Psalms mainly in, in the one text I was reading, and he had picked out 10 of the Psalms that he called the Royal Psalms because they tended to focus on what the king was to do in the nation of Israel with and through God. Herman Gunkel called these the Royal, royal Psalms because they tended to offer to the king a job description how they were to follow God's law and handling their job, if you will, as king. So if, if you want a quick list, it's Psalm 2 and 18, 20, 21, 45, 72. I see all you writing these down. 101, 110, 132, 144. Bingo. No. I was waiting for that. And Psalm 72 seems to be the one that matches up with our two scriptures this morning. It's the closest in Gunkel's arrangement that seems to match today's scriptures in describing what the king does and how the king has been identified in this Isaiah passage or the chosen one has been identified in this Isaiah passage and in John as well. You have to realize that often uh, kings in the ancient days were also called the the Anointed One, the Messiah. Uh, that's where David Koresh from Waco, uh, Texas, got that crazy idea that he was uh, one of he was the chosen one, and he took the name Koresh, which uh, which which means that. And I know many of you are kind of surprised because you're saying job description for a king? I mean, isn't the job description of a king to hold a scepter and wear a crown and fancy, fancy robes and sign parchments when people bring them to you, right? You think that's the job description of a king. But now listen to Psalm 72 and hear what God lays out for a king's identity. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to a king's son. May the king be a judge, your people with righteousness, and your poor with justice. May the mountains yield prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people and give deliverance to the needy and crush the oppressor. May he live while the sun endures as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may righteousness flourish and peace abound until the moon is no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May his foes bow down before him and his enemy lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and all the isles render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations give him service. For he delivers the needy when they call, the poor and those who have no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be brought to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all day long. May there be abundance of grain in the land. May it wave On the tops of the mountains, may its fruit be like Lebanon and many people's blossoms in the city like grass of the field. May his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun. May all nations be blessed in him, may they pronounce him happy. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May his glory fill the whole earth. Amen and amen. There you go. Job description for a king. It's more than, like I said, wearing a crown holding a scepter, wearing fancy clothes. The king is given the direct instance in five of these verses to do what? Judge the people with righteousness. Give the poor justice. Defend the poor. Deliver the needy and crush the oppressor. Have pity on the weak and save the needy. Redeem their life. And the other 11 verses are just how wonderful God is. And because of the wonder of God the king will be lifted up and remembered. But in those five verses, you have explicitly the job description of a king. They should look out for those who don't have a voice, who don't have authority and power, who need someone to be their hero, their champion, their savior. That seems to be the the, the the insistence that God has, the, the predilection for seek for looking out for the poor. The Bible tends to lean that way. Not that anyone else isn't important, but those who don't need a king to help them have their means already. And as we also understand the, those who are poor and needy, oftentimes are in that case because someone else has put them there. Someone else has uh, with restrictions or wars or just their own personal predilections have caused some people to have and some to have not. And that's when you need that king that's according to Psalm 72. That's why you need the king to watch out for them, to seek out for them, to defend them, to save them from their oppressor. The king is to defend all faith and defend all people. But primarily the king is there to defend those who have been left. Now, as a side note, I've mentioned the word king a few times. And tomorrow happens to be Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. It's going to be a celebration, St. Francis Church at 7 o'clock, as we remember his words. And if you think back, Martin Luther King was a king who followed the 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 call from Psalm 72 to seek and defend the needy and the poor, to lift them up, to have them offered a new and redeemed life. That's what kings do. That's what kings should do. But we know differently, don't we? Often our kings act like the kings with crowns and scepters and fancy robes, and that's all they think about. They think about protecting their crowns and scepters and robes, and they don't care for or seek out to defend and lift up and remake and redeem. One reason why it wasn't enough God to allow the people of Israel to have kings he had to send his son Jesus to come and be among them just as John the Baptist said this is the the lamb of God come to be slaughtered for us in our place to be the scapegoat to take on our sins our discrepancies our failures. This Jesus has come as the true nature of a king, redeeming all and every. He was here to seek that justice for the poor and the needy, to crush the oppressor, to have them see who they really were. In his words, the ones that cut both ways. But John the Baptist wasn't happy enough to give Jesus the kingly title and the kingly job description. He said this anointed one comes with a special purpose, two additional jobs to fulfill, and only Jesus can fulfill. One, that he will baptize with the Spirit. Two, that as the Lamb of God, he will be the ultimate sacrifice the ultimate sacrifice for the salvation that God offers to us all, the ultimate sacrifice, the scapegoat for all sinners, the Redeemer for all time and all history. Jesus came to offer that to us. Jesus was baptized in our stead, crucified in our place, and the Spirit announced him. And remained with him. And John recognized Saul. And proclaimed that. However just like. Martin Luther King Jr. The world. Was not happy with Jesus. And just like with Martin Luther King Jr. The powers that be. Would not have. The poor and needy lifted up. Those who were seeking God's righteousness to be built up. They did not want the poor and the needy to become children of God. And so, our Champion sent by God. This chosen one, Jesus, was nailed to a cross, left there till death, buried in a tomb, and he rose again for us in spite of what the oppressors attempted to do. So our our scriptures this morning are telling us two things, that we've had the king, the chosen one, the the lamb of God in our midst, and he remains still forever. And true to his job description, he's seeking the best for all. But he's the champion especially for the needy, the poor, the ones who need justice, the ones who need to be lifted up, And brought up. Beware of those who only look out for themselves. Or those like them. Beware of those who oppress. Who turn the screws. Who fight against the author of life. This Jesus, the chosen one. And our job, the only job that John the Baptist gave us, is to seek the Lord while he may be found. Amen. So I was really keen to give you the point of the sermon today. So be sharp and take it into the world. Well, what are you standing there for? Go. (laughs) Amen and amen.